This week on the show, we have a special one for you, a holiday episode edition where we interview ourselves with the questions that we got once from you as our listeners. And we kind of learn a little bit about ourselves from other hosts that we have. And hopefully you also get something good out of that. So pick up uh, all our favorite gear, the books that we read, favorite places we want to live or have been to, and a lot more in this week's episode of BSD Now. Now, episode 539, Query All Hosts, recorded on the 6th of December 2023. Hi, I'm your host, Benedict Reuschling. I'm Tom Jones. And I'm Jason Tubner. Oh, big surprise. Cool, it's we didn't even have to practice. That was good. Yeah. Straight up. Smooth. <laughs> I mean, if I would have done it alone, I would have said uh, Tom Tubner and Jason Jones, but this but is better this if you're way. doing this by yourself you'd be answering the questions <laughs> yeah in different voices even benedict asks um, himself questions oh i do that every day i i'm constantly asking myself questions mostly where is the cat and the meaning of life and all that no i don't i'm not worried about that oh, okay so uh as you might have guessed we will have a special episode today uh, because it's christmas and we thought we would do something out of the ordinary uh we will do interviews we've done this in the past you may remember previous years uh but we haven't done it in a while and people have also asked us questions in the meantime which we haven't answered in individual feedback questions so we thought we would put all of this together and answer it now since we also have jason now for a while on the podcast and you probably don't know too much about him yet so it's prudent to go through this one more time but so this and is going to come out just after christmas but we're recording on saint nicholas day so I hope yeah. you checked your shoes this morning. Speaking of oh, that, yeah. I've got a question Shiny. straight on, straight on. No, there's no notice on this question, right? So um, we're all spread across the world. So uh, what time is it there for you, Tom? It's nine minutes past eight. Uh, what about you, Benedict? Nine minutes past nine. And I'm nine minutes past seven a.m. in the future. Here we go. So... Jason had the bigger effort getting up, but apparently he does this every Jason day. Jason knows what the stock market is going to do today, and he's not going to tell us. Here we go. We, we, <laughs> we're always following the future. You want to know whatever's <laughs> going to happen? It's like a DeLorean. Old Europe calling. Yeah. Okay. Uh, our first question is <laughs> in Jason's your opinion. Read the questions. <laughs> yes. Yes, I'm reading the questions, Benedict. Okay. okay here we go. In your opinion. What are the pros and cons of each of the four major BSDs for desktop and or laptop use? For example, when is OpenBSD, FreeBSD, NetBSD, or Dragonfly the better choice over the other two? <laughs> I am really sassy. Okay. Uh, you should use Dragonfly BSD if it's 2004. Um, NetBSD is, is great if you want to use package source, I'm, I'm, I think. I, I don't know. I've never used it. Um, you should use FreeBSD for firewalls and, and storage and as a desktop, and as a development platform and as a web server and a middle server because it, it's really solid. And you should use OpenBSD if you have an old G4 PowerBook and you want to go on the internet. Yeah, um, you know, the Dragonfly one. Um, I found the preemptive kernel tends to be a bit more responsive for interactive workloads like a desktop. 
Um, yeah, probably not so much for a server as required there, but um, just in my testing, Dragonfly has been good from a desktop perspective. But again, it's only a simple desktop. I haven't done, you know, audio with it and, and editing audio with it or doing anything really, you know, desktop-y as we, you would we've do. Got, we've got the Dragonfly Digest on the docket for a show which came out in the past, but we're going to record in the future. Um, but... I'd not seen a lot going on in the Dragonfly project in the last two, three, four years. Yeah, that worries us a little bit, right? So if you don't hear much, then no news is not always good news. Uh, I have been I have been hearing news on Hammer. There's been a fair bit of work happening in Hammer 2, um, and I think that's just where a lot of the focus is going. And then that's also translating into, you know, pushing down into NetBSD and OpenBSD, uh, which is good to see because, you know, OpenBSD especially needs... A more modern file system and Hammer 2 is like probably the best it's going to be for you know the licensing. <laughs> Mike, Michael W. Lucas was very diplomatic when I asked him about this in the, the OpenBSD file systems interview we did earlier this year. Um, I interviewed a Dragonfly BSD developer for a role at the start of this year and I asked them, you know, like should, what's going on in Dragonfly? Like, should you still use it? And he said, oh no, I think it's a dead project. Uh, it just made me sad. Okay. Um I'd like to see more. It'd be really good if the... I can't remember the name of the person behind the Dragonfly Digest, um, Justin Sherrill. It'd be great mm. to hear more from them. Um, I do remember him being interviewed on the podcast very, very in the early days on the podcast. Yeah. Um, and we probably should circle around and have a chat with him again uh, because I think there is things going on. It's just they're not very public about it. They're busy off doing coding and not really writing much about it because you do see stuff come out in the in the commit logs and that sort of stuff so mm. okay that's one of our new new, new year's resolutions interview dragonfly bsd at least I, one developer I, ideally someone from the dragonfly bsd project would email us at feedback at bsdnow.tv and say yeah, yeah we exist we're, we're around we have, um, we have microphones and they can come talk. and reach yeah. out and speak to us because that'd be easier than us trying to find you mm. yeah much so um, on that question, on the on the, the question that we sort of just read out before, um, I don't have any opinion on NetBSD. I'm not a NetBSD user, so um, I really can't give a you know desktop input in regard to that. FreeBSD, yeah. um, you know that works fine. Laptop, desktop, don't have an issue with it. Um, there's some interesting stuff happening in the Wayland space there, uh, but it has the um, you know the added benefits of ZFS and Beehive, and they're two things that I like to have on anything that I do because, you know, I have to spin up a VM at times and that sort of stuff. But ZFS just makes things easy, you know. I need to move this this data from here to here sort of thing. I can just like ZFS send to my laptop, put it there, and then when I get to my destination, if there's if it's air-gapped or whatever, bang, I can send it back to the, the destination machine. So happy days. But out of the box, OpenBSD sound just works. It's brilliant. Um, so yeah, the spin up a, a desktop in OpenBSD is pretty quick, uh, pulling it from, uh, pull, um, packages and, you know, that's worked fine for me too. So yeah, I do use both an OpenBSD and a FreeBSD laptop. Yeah. And we wouldn't have covered so many tutorials and success stories, how people involved, uh, in whatever project it is, installation on a laptop, on a server, on an old laptop, on an very old embedded system, whatever it is. We have so many success stories throughout the years that you definitely should try it and use it because it works. 
Are you going to answer this question, Benedict? Oh, I didn't? Yeah, well, I can just copy what you said, right? Um, (laughs) My main driver is (laughs) FreeBSD. uh, Not too much experience with NetBSD, only one installation that didn't go well, but these were my early days of BSD anyway. And OpenBSD, I hear good things. It's good. It has good components. Even if you don't use the main operating system, it has, you know, OpenSMTP, DPF, and all these other or OpenSSH, most prominent of all, that's just a success story by itself. And whatever you have, a desktop, a laptop, or embedded system, that's just the component you want to have and can rely on. OpenBSD has been my uh, mail server of choice for the last 20 years, I think it has been. Um, it's, yeah, and I mean, the, that mail server is you know not the original mail server. It's gone through multiple iterations, but the current one's been in place for the last... I would say eight years and it's just had in place upgrades like throughout its period and you know just some slight configuration tweaks as it's gone. Was that your first BSD system at all or did you discover another first? No, so OpenBSD was my first um, operating system like besides Linux. So I come from a Solaris background um, and then at the same time I was sort of learning Linux and then I was introduced to OpenBSD when I was working in Hong Kong back in 2000, actually, yeah. So, um, Ooh. yeah, uh-huh. the set, I was over there in 2000, 2001, and um, I was handed by a Canadian colleague a set of CDs, and he said, uh, uh-huh. check this out. And I've just gone, wow. What a nice design. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, I couldn't believe it. It's like the man pages actually worked like it did in Solaris and stuff like that. Whereas Linux, it was just a big mess. You know, you had to, you know, open Zeus. It, no, it wasn't even called that. It was, I think, Zeus seven point back yeah. then. And no, they had printed handbooks yeah. when you bought it in the store. And that's how you did, like you know, when you wanted to find out how something you couldn't just use man like you did in the data center when you had a full yeah, outage no, no. and you had to use man pages. No, you had to use the manuals. That's how. And that's how I've got a thing. I've got a Red Hat. Um, manual and it's like you know documentation wasn't the strong point for for linux and so you discovered freebsd a little bit later yeah yeah around the same time yeah later um i was uh, trying to get some hardware working and the drivers in uh freebsd worked so yeah Hmm. that's uh where i did that and then basically since the mid 2000s i've been using both openbsd and freebsd equally uh depending on the task yeah it's uh... Not always one uh, big hammer for all the nails you have. Okay. Next question. Next question. How did all of you guys meet? I've I've never met Jason. This is the first time we've spoken. That we still have to fix, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Confusingly, you're in the FreeBSD cycling Strava. Yes. um, (laughs) So uh, I joined that years ago. Um, I'm also on the running, but I don't do any running. Um, I am going to go get back into running, but um, just to, you know, do weight bearing sort of workloads because you don't get that cycling. But um, yeah, I am in the cycling Strava BSD uh, one. So have a look out there. Um, but uh, from, from, from my point of view, um, I met Alan first. Um, you know, I, I learned about Alan through, you know, his initial podcasting days back what tech snap back in those days. Um, and then, you know, as he did, did like encourage people to turn up to, uh, BSD can, 
uh, you know, that's a 30-hour flight for me to get to BSD camp. But I decided to turn up and, um, yeah. That's a commitment. Yeah. yeah. I met him in, what, 2014, I think it was. Uh, so that's how I initially met him. And then I met Michael Dexter. And then I met Benedict through mm. um, through those two. Um, but If we had known back then, right, what we were going to do, right, yeah. in the future. <laughs> Because I called Jason on our first, first recording and it was like, I heard your name before, so you are familiar, but where did we see each other for the first time? Like exactly that. Yeah. BSD can. Yeah. Since I've been Hacker, going for many, many years. The Hacker Lounge. And you meet so many people, of course, you lose sight of some of them if they don't go there every time. And it has been a couple years since we've last talked or had contact. Yeah. Um, I think it was 2019 um, at Asia BSD Con in Japan. Oh, that too, yeah. Um, yeah. I think that was the last time we actually saw each other mm. in, in person. But, you know, I've, I've got the – I really want to try and get to EuroBSDCon next year. Um, mm, Dublin, yeah. Yeah, just trying to organize flights and that sort of stuff is is um, a difficult thing and then making sure I've got enough holidays to do it. Um, but, uh, yeah, because that's, again, it's like Ottawa, it's big flight time to get there. Yeah. But, um Yeah, that's that's. I'd like to get there. So then, you know, hopefully, I can meet you guys in person again because it's nothing like sharing a beer and um, and chewing the fat. Oh yeah, and Tom and I, do you have I, a? I don't remember. I mean, I I listened to BSD talk way back in the day. Um, oh yeah, and I think at some point Will mentioned there was a BSD now or. Maybe I just stumbled on BSD now. I'm not really sure how I found it. Um, I went to FOSDEM in 2015 and I contacted Alan about doing an interview because I was being paid to go there through a academic research project and they're all about impact and going mm -hmm. on a widely listened to podcast is one way to get impact. Um, but I don't, I don't know how we met Benedict. Um, maybe it must BSD have been a year at BSDCon. Maybe BSDCam. Yeah, BSDCam would be... Uh, yeah, now that you mentioned it, probably. Mm? Yeah, because for you it's in the neighborhood, and for me it's exciting because Cambridge. I mean, for, it takes and, you last time together, and it takes me to get there. Because I've always <laughs> people like after you you come back from a conference, we were like chatting, and we were like, "Yeah, I was there." Well, you were also there. Why didn't we talk? We just were at the same place in the same room, and we have never. Or hadn't had a chance to talk, so maybe Tom and I had vague interactions, or just saw each other, yeah, but didn't also have maybe, this kind of maybe the Fosdem Dev Room. But Fosdem is a crazy, crazy place. Yeah, so it's, it's hard to use there. You would have to recollect all those faces. Wow. Yeah. So it's it's still vague, um, but these are the closest things we can think it's of. Good not to have answers for everything. Yeah. No, you, keeps, you know, you don't have to. Exciting. It's like, you know, it's just not not an answer for everything. And, you know, we shouldn't be expected to know everything. So, okay, next question. What is the most expensive thing that you have ever broken or lost? The silence is golden here. That we here. care to admit. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a good answer for this. I tend to break at almost everything I touch. Um, that's why I like computers, because you can actually fix the things. Um, I must have managed not to break anything particularly valuable though. Uh, I did put iPod Linux on my iPod Nano um, back in 2006 and I bricked the the iPod 
And then I got shouted at in the iPod Linux forums because it's impossible to brick your iPod. And yeah, I had a brick in my hand. So I, I, I don't know why I've got, got so much grief for this. But that's not a particularly expensive thing to, to have destroyed in the, the scale of things. Of course, when you're 15, it's quite a lot of money. But mm. I, I think I think someone's someone could probably beat me at this quite easily. Yeah. I think- for me, it's a Game Boy. Actually, my first Game Boy that I paid <laughs> out of my own pocket way back when. And I had that for years and years, total addicted to it. And at one point, I was using it again after a while of abstinence, right? And then I got so frustrated with the game I was I was playing in the very first stages, and I was just frustrated and just smashed it in a corner and the display broke. So for me, it's not very expensive, but it has all these memories and it was your own paid out of your own pocket money. So that is the expense there for me. And also it got me in the long term rid of all that Game Boy playing. <laughs> so it was kind of a catharsis there. <laughs> Mine, uh, uh, you know, I, I looked at this question and, you know, I go, does data count? Because, um, yeah, I've had past experience where, you know, data loss um, could be, you know, calculated in that, that, dollars. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I, I, didn't, I, I had thoughts about, you know, having a bit more of a discussion on this, but I thought, no, nah, I think that's one I don't want to to put out there. But I guess it wasn't out of malice, right? No, it, was it wasn't. Accident. It was by accident, yeah. yeah. Um, but the thing that I have was probably my four-wheel drive I had back in the early 2000s. Uh, I enjoyed using that to the fullest. The problem is, is when you, you know, drive a vehicle beyond its capabilities, you tend to destroy things like differentials, you know, um, pinion and crown wheels, uh, transfer cases, um, even, you know, premature engine wear because of, you know, oil pickups and that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I could say that, um, you know, I took a $25,000 four-wheel drive and, you know, made it worth half its value very, very quickly. Uh, so, um, uh, yeah, that's that's uh, probably the most expensive thing that I've lost. Next question. Latest book you have read and what is your next book you plan on reading? I have to check. Um, the last book I finished reading was The Wind-Up Bird Chronicle by Murakami. Um, it's a great book. It's about a man who's looking for his cat. Um, definitely worth reading. Um, I, I'm normally reading concurrently like four books. So what are you planning on reading on next is a really difficult question because I'm reading like a bunch of other stuff at the same time. Um, in fiction, I'm reading book three of 1Q84 by Murakami because I'd like to finish it, this series of books in 2023 for the second time. Um, I started reading The Magic Mountain by um, Thomas Mann this week because it was mentioned in my German class. And I thought, ah, I'll read a book, but I'm reading it in English because I don't want to read that in German. Um, I have to finish reading the Awk Programming Language second edition so I can write a book review for of it for the FreeBSD Journal. Or I'm just going to write the book review without finish reading it. I'm not actually that, that fussed. I think I know what happens. In, I, I don't know, I'm not expecting a surprise ending to this programming book. Um, and the last book I'm currently reading that I'll admit to is um, Handmade Electronic Circuits, which is about making synthesizers. And it's mostly about hacking, to get, hacking together synthesizers from um, low-cost parts and things you can recover. So, yeah, I'm, I'd like books. I have a lot of books. No one can see. <laughs> <laughs> so mine was the... Uh... 
Wise Man's Fear by Patrick Rothfuss, which Wonderful is the book. second. Yeah, yeah. I read the first one, The Name of the Wind. And of course, the third one is taking its time to be ever be released it's never, at home. It's never going to be published. It's just, just give up. Ah, like why 30 can't years people from now. Finish stuff? Yeah. Uh, but cool story, definitely. I like the university vibes there and uh, all the backstories and, you know, intrigue and scheming and all that um and the next one i plan to read which i already bought is somewhere on my nightstand uh is build the life you want the art and science of getting happier which is a corporation by oprah winfrey and arthur c brooks uh, i got an i heard an interview uh with him and he mentioned that he wrote this book with the big oprah and he just um was excited because he's in the from the academic side into what makes people happy, what are the contributing factors. And she was interested in the topic as well. So they got together and wrote this book. And so I'm kind of excited to uh, get into that. What are the factors? I mean, happiness is, I mean, very, uh, for individual people, different, but also um, has a lot of uh, connotations to it and labels, which may not apply to everyone. But this one seems to be well-researched and has uh, probably a, a lot of good content in it. That's cool. I mean, on that vein, I read uh, How to Be Miserable by Patterson this year, uh, which is 40 strategies to make yourself unhappy, um, which oh, seems okay. easier to measure than trying to be happy. Um, and it's a very tongue-in-cheek book, but it's really, really interesting. There is a CGP Grey YouTube video which summarizes part of the book, which you could look up. I think it's nine strategies to be miserable. Um, on the side of like self-help i don't know if it's self-help like productivity there's a book called four thousand weeks um which i found very good for um forgiving my use of time um four thousand weeks is you live about four thousand weeks and so you can just draw that out quite quickly four thousand is not very many things um, how much is left how much you already had yeah it's it's kind of a sad premise but most of the book is about saying that you have this limited amount of time and so inherently you cannot do the things you want to do so you shouldn't feel bad that you're not doing them and i think for people in technology who pick up a ton of side projects they never finish this is a really nice lesson where you're like yeah actually no it's it's reframing what you've done rather than um getting to the end goal in a lot of cases and it was an interesting book for this i really enjoyed it i think it's definitely worth a read okay Guys are well read. Um, you know, I'm quite envious. Uh, I'm not a book person, and I can't really get into books. It's really, it really requires a excellent writer and a good story to sort of keep me engaged after the first two pages. And it's like it's really hard for me to pick up a book. Um, but you know, there is some books that I read, and I go, if you're not a book reader, then you know, how did you get through it? And it's like you know, it is um, uh, Phil Plate wrote um, Death from the Skies. And that was a very, very, you know, heavy book. So it's very science-based um, and, you know, goes through all the different scenarios of, of um, how one could possibly die from natural causes that, you know, we're not shooting ourselves or dying of a heart attack. You know, how, would, how is the universe, universe collectively trying to destroy us? And it's not UFOs or anything like that, but it does go into, you know, extraterrestrials. But um, that's not the book that i've read that was that book i've read ages ago um the the most recent one i've read was the overlander by rupert guinness which is uh one man's epic race to cross australia 
So it covers um, what's known as the Indy Pacific uh, wheel race, uh, which has been renamed to Wheel Ride after the loss of um, Mike Hall, uh, who's a very uh, talented uh, ultra cyclist. And um, this this book, this actual story was actually covered during during that particular loss um, that happened during that race. Uh, but it was a very interesting ride of you know what one person had to put themselves through to get from one side of the Australian continent to the other side of the Australian continent. And there's a lot of vast open space with nothing there. And um, I yeah, hear things. That sort of that sort of cycle, you know, that's the sort of cycling I'm into. And um, you know, it can really play on your mind and you really have to have a strong mind to be able to, you know, get through those points because you have demons that come out and they start talking to you and that sort of stuff and they're trying to to, yeah. to overcome that. So yeah, that was um uh the most recent book that I, I I've read and completed. The one I've got on my hit list is Gitsink Murder by our friend Michael Lucas. Uh, it's you know the the follow up to the Git Commit Murder um, book that really engaged me. Like when I bought that the Git Git Commit Murder back in 2017, I read it on the plane on the way home from from BSD Can, and it was you know it was really engaging. I couldn't put the thing down. Uh, so uh, yeah, I've got to read the follow up. Everybody else has read it. I haven't. So um, happy days. Hmm. And you read probably also a lot of tech books, but that's more up to your alley. Yeah, or... yeah. So you know, that's their their required reads rather than you know a relaxing read. You know, you guys seem to have uh, a bit more of a relaxing book. Uh, you know, yeah, sometimes less stuff. time for that, but yeah, it, we make time for it. Tom, even more than I. You just have okay, to not good. read Twitter. Uh, well, uh, yeah, I'm not on Twitter yeah. anymore. It's like I got off Twitter, like you know, back when Musk bought it. It just turned into like a a, a flaming garbage, um, you know, straight away. It was quite easy to exit Twitter for me. Like, um, I, I, I'm not going to pretend that reading is. I mean, okay, reading is easy. I don't have trouble reading. Um, it's always, it's hard for everyone to find time to read. Um, I looked at the number of books I read in a year, and I looked at how many years I could reasonably expect to live and it wasn't that many books and so when things are hard to read i just don't read them and a lot of people really struggle with a book because they think they need to read it but yeah just don't back just put back. it down just find something yeah. else just skip through them until it's you find things that filter do early engage with yeah, you. What, if it's the, you can always come back to it after a year or so maybe in a different situation but you don't have to torture yourself with reading mm. yeah and i i mean the thing about like microblogging style things is and comments on websites is they're really easy to read because there's no cognitive load. They're like sugar and you can just chew through them. Um, you can just read one page of a book and that's about the same as reading the comments on something and you, you get something different from it. I mean, it's everyone's choice. No one's making them read. And, you know, you don't have to move house for me. Uh, but when I move house, I have to move a lot of boxes of heavy books. Uh, and that's that, the penalty yeah. of, of reading like this. Hmm. Is libraries for that? You don't need to own all the books. The library doesn't have um, Unix systems for modern architectures. The nineteen ninety four classic. Yeah, that's a good point. Signed by the author? No, he's dead. <laughs> oh, okay, I, I don't yeah, know. I actually I don't know. Um, I I found out an author I thought was dead is not. Uh, so I'm, I'm <laughs> just completely confused now. Um, but I did a um, <laughs> Euro BSD con last year. I got Kirk Music to sign. Um, the 
Vax 11 architecture manual because I thought it would be really funny. He didn't find it as funny as I found it. Okay. <laughs> Vax. I remember Vax. That's when I first started work. Oh, dear. I'm showing my age. Moving on to the next question. Uh, do you prefer a desktop or a laptop or a tablet? For me, it's easy. I use my laptop everywhere. I can hook it up to screens if I want more screen real estate. I have been using a um, little laptop. Well, not laptop. Uh, the Mac. Not the Mac. What's it called? The mini. The tablet mini. Mini tablet. iPad whatever mini. It's called. The mini. Yeah, thanks. Um but not so much in a while. So it's kind of collecting dust at one point. I don't know what happened there. So maybe I'm not uh, into tablets anymore. You know, people people talk about backups and, and not losing their data and they're, they're worried about data loss. I have never had much concern about data loss. The problem I have is I have too many computers and I can't find the things I've done. And so I very frequently try to find shell scripts I've written that solve the problem really elegantly um, and they are on a virtual machine on a machine but I have a test bed of only two machines behind me but either of those can have virtual machines on them but also my laptop which is a framework 13 running FreeBSD has virtual machines on it and then sometimes there's just git trees and things and I just lose stuff all the time I had like one computer that could do everything and no one seems that doesn't seem feasible so I, I don't know. I, I'm not happy with computing, but I, I, it's not the form factor isn't the problem. There's something else. It's, I think it's me. I think I'm the problem. And I think there's no such thing as a unicorn. You know, there's no unicorn computer. And, you know, I have the same problem. It's like, you know, yeah, I don't have a tablet. The laptop is, uh, you know, a convenience. Um, but, you know, I come from the 80s and we had the all-in-one big thing that just sat on the desk. And yeah. and that was just the keyboard and the CPU and all that sort of stuff was in there. And then you had ancillaries applied to it, like uh, you had you know disk drive. The disk drive was actually attached to included in the, the actual keyboard. You know that's that's the form factor I like. So I'd probably say yeah, I do like desktops, but um, you know they're they're big and cumbersome and noisy. So yeah, I have to go back. If I had to have one, it would be a laptop. I'd I'd ideally have a a really elegant system that could magically transport virtual machines from my laptop to bigger computers so I could travel without there being any trouble and continue doing it's what I'm doing. It's called the cloud. Yeah, but <laughs> I want to be able to do stuff on when I'm on a train or on an airplane where I don't have internet access or, or at home yeah. where I don't have great internet access. And you could have stuff in the cloud, but you, it, pulling it locally is just the hassle. And I would just like that to be seamless. And then I could maybe have... A smoother a smoother way to do stuff yeah offline for a while well that's where i use zfs with beehive to achieve that because i can you know slot stuff from what i'm working on say in the office drop it straight on my laptop go to the conference continue working on it then come back and then can sync it back to what i was um back to the office again um you know it yeah, makes it, was, it seamless doing for a while yeah I've, having worked on a patch at a conference and then syncing it back and forth i've i've prototyped in my mind a system where you connect to a virtual machine with mosh and then you can serialize the virtual machine to the cloud or to a local machine but your your tmux window just sits there and reconnects when it's moved 
Um, but we're just missing the beehive features in FreeBSD to make that possible. But if we could do migration, then that would be really cool. Because the thing it's is, coming. I like to it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> I hear things are in code and haven't been committed yet. But, but yeah, that would be a feature that would be great to have. Okay, next question is uh, your favorite peripheral device. Hmm. USB serial. I guess a mouse at one point when we have to use a mouse. As I use a, a, a trackpad at work, which is kind of nice. Uh, but sometimes when I sit with students and they bring their laptop and or I go to their place and in the lab and they just show me their peripheral, they have mouses these days that are like, transformers right when we had mouses with like two buttons they have 50 and they can extend stuff and there's things coming out and i don't know why they need so many buttons so mm -hmm. i use a simple mouse when i need to have my a mouse. mouse has a clutch benedict which you can release and then you can scroll the scroll wheel as fast as you can that i yeah that i know um but all the, all the other buttons on this mouse here this has just never been pressed before because i have no need for it the, my mouse, but you can nice. change the, the speed with a, a fast DPI button. And I'd really like to yeah. disable that because the only person that's pressed that button deliberately is my cat. And she's only done that to annoy me. <laughs> <laughs> you, the um, mouse situation is totally different. Yes, you're right, Benedict. Back when we only had two button mice, we also had mice with balls in the bottom one. And yeah, we had to clean, clean these regularly, right? Yeah, that was that was ah. one of my jobs as a PC PC no support technician back in the early nineties is like having to clean these manky ah. mouses because they're too expensive <laughs> to just keep chucking out like we do these days. Oh, this is faulty, just chuck it out. It's you know, disposable <laughs> mice these days, but back in those days, no 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 no, you were cleaning that ball. Yeah, the, the blocky mouse from Logitech. Tom, you said you um, your favorite peripheral is a USB to serial? Yeah, it's the best peripheral. Mine would be, which I don't own, um, but it's like, you know, it's that dream peripheral and it's a Model M keyboard. I have one of them. Oh, don't, don't, don't let me know about it, you know. <laughs> I'm quite far away. Uh... Is that hard to get for you or is it just... No, Model M's are just like you're trying to, you know, acquire one these days in reasonable condition that can be used, so... Yeah, okay. Sorry, I made loads of noise, JT, getting them, taking it out. Yeah, um, I, the, the installing FreeBSD 1 article, I did all with the Model M because the microformat um, PS2 keyboard I have didn't work with it. But no idea. It wouldn't work in the BIOS, so I just never tried it again. I have a Model M. I've got an Apple Extended too, as well, which I acquired recently. I like keyboards. Yeah, yeah I should have said a keyboard. I love keyboards. <laughs> yeah, they are the main input device. Yeah, I, getting, built... getting a good keyboard with you know the good feel. Trying to find that right feel that just works, and it's just like you know I have a mechanical keyboard, and the office hates it, but that's just life. Yeah, I mean I've <laughs> built four mechanical keyboards i'm halfway through designing one but the keyboard i use every day is the cheapest mechanical keyboard i could get on amazon which had wireless without bluetooth because um i bought the cheapest mechanical keyboard you can get on amazon and it's great and it's like really really clicking very live that's not what i'm using um it's fine um i've built my own keyboards and it costs so much money to build a keyboard you just wouldn't believe it it's just not even worth it. It's not worth the pain. You don't, nothing you get is good enough. Um, but I have a KVM for all the crap behind me, 
um, in my rack. And if there was Bluetooth, I wouldn't be able to enter the BIOS in anything. And so it needed to be wireless because everything's like a meter and a half behind me. But yeah. Anyway, yeah. If you were to live somewhere else, where would it be? Ooh. I mean, I very nearly moved to Germany this year. Well, next year. And I'm not doing that. So probably Germany. Do you have do you have uh, relatives there, Tom? Yeah, my wife's German, um, and so we were going to move to Germany at the start of next year, uh, but we're not. So, any, uh, yeah, if there's enough people who listen to this, everyone should know now. Yeah, we're not moving to Germany. Um, yeah, it, didn't, it didn't happen. It didn't work out. We decided we had some friends who had children. Um, it's a family illness on my side, and we decided to stay here for a bit longer. And it's Scotland's a nice place. A lot of good cycling. Well, don't have to move those books just yet. Not yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Big truckloads just for books. Um, for me... I've always liked Canada since uh, not just about the BSD can, but the, like the whole vibe and the country. And I also did a, um, a trip once with my brother for three weeks, like East Coast and West Coast and all these different uh, cities, of course, on the East Coast and then some of the ski resorts on the West. That was certainly a nice touch. Uh, and just today, uh, a student where I have a lot of contacts with showed me his recent trip to to Iceland and like wow that is awesome just looking at that I haven't been there myself but I plan to go there and it would probably be a close second I've been to many places not just for conferences but also uh, just being interested in travel and all but Canada has always been has a special place in my heart mine you know Australia is such a big place that like you spend a lot of your life um trying to get out of it because it takes that long to get out of it uh so you know for me uh trying to find somewhere I, I don't think i could handle the change too much so if i had to move somewhere else no it's not tasmania even though you know some people jokingly call it overseas here in australia now i'd probably be get, <laughs> go to new zealand um that's you know while it's a small place uh the the culture and the atmosphere, you know, I really loved Wellington when I went there and same with Auckland. So, you know, I'd probably pick Wellington first in New Zealand. Uh, second, Auckland, you know, Auckland's weather is similar to what we have in Sydney, uh, whereas Wellington's is is more like ours in Melbourne. But, um, yeah, a lot more wind, obviously, you know, Wellington, sure. windy Wellington. It didn't get its name for um, not being windy. So, yeah. Both, both are nice places, so that's probably where I'd end up. I would, I would love to live in New Zealand, but it's too far away from the rest of the I world. I always hear good things about it. I get excited, and then one, I when I get started planning a trip, it's like, oh dear, Is that, that so seventeen-hour flight leg. You just, just like, no, don't yeah, and you can't just stay a week there. You have to be there for at least a month, right? Yes, it takes you. It takes otherwise... it takes you like uh, a good like we did a tour around the South Island and. It took us, you know, two a good two weeks to tour around the South Island. We still didn't see everything that we wanted to see. Um, there's yeah, so much uh, to see there. In 2019, I did a, um, I drove the entire length of New Zealand through North and South Island. Um, we were there for three weeks, and it it wasn't really enough time. There was a lot of driving, but so the very top and the very bottom. Um, I didn't have a very uh, rich agenda. I was quite happy to go to somewhere very far away and quite alien. And it's funny how very different culturally New Zealand is to the UK. I mean, the food was nice and people were happy. It was really jarring. <laughs> it, 
I, I don't know why, why the UK just sent all the convicts down to you know the best best place and just stayed in the miserable rain time, place. Yeah. <laughs> um, it sounds like he did the uh, goodbye pork pie tour. Have you seen that movie? No. It's one to go and go and watch, Tom. Um, then you could say, "Oh, we just we just relived that whole movie." Um, how many languages do each of you speak? Besides the mother language, of course. Uh, well, English, of course. I put all my, you know, talent points, if you call a game of role-playing that. Uh, in English, into English, and my teachers were always good. I learned a lot from them. And I use also this podcast, I mentioned this earlier, uh, for training the language, not just reading and writing, but also speaking. That's what most people are afraid of, right? They can read fine and listen to English radio or TV shows or whatever, but speaking is the problem for them. And traveling also helps, of course, with that. You have to, you know, communicate with people. I did a little bit of Spanish, uh, but it's not enough to be dangerous. I can speak English, or I, I claim to speak English. Um, listeners of the podcast can tell me how well I'm doing. I'm very <laughs> slowly learning German, and I, I just keep doing that. Uh, but then nothing else. That's it. That's where you would expect from coming from this miserable island. Yeah, so um, while Australia has turned into a multicultural nation, I still only can speak one language. So, and <laughs> I don't know if Australian is actually English. So, yeah, sorry for the slang if I drop any and any in there. It's like, what did he just say? <laughs> I have that problem ah, at the well, conference. <laughs> it's that variation that keeps it interesting. See, I, I think I've listened to too many podcasts, and when I was a teenager. And so I can speak very convincing American to the point where I'm accused of being American quite a lot when I travel. Um, and I wish I dropped more Scots slang into my language, but I just forget about it. Oh, yes. There's some, yeah, you know, there's some really thick Scott accents that, you know, get around and you see in movies and that sort of stuff and you go, oh, God, well, got to watch it in subtitles. <laughs> Otherwise I can't follow. And I mean, BSD now has always been like with a little bit of, slang here and there i mean with alan even what's it on a boat right <laughs> so that, that makes it interesting right yeah yeah for sure <laughs> now alan's gone we're just gonna make fun of his accent forever yeah <laughs> he, but, I mean, he will me, want to come English, back as a guest now to, <laughs> to defend himself times when he says that <laughs> okay uh the next question is what is the most recent project that you've learned of and that you're really excited about in in the show we'll record after this one but we'll come out two episodes before it there was an article about the Manton reform laptop which is a open hardware arm 64 laptop platform i'm gonna say platform they did a crowdfunding campaign this year for pocket reform so a seven inch format laptop and i'm really excited for that to come out it's an odd device um but the work um, Lucas and the team have done to build this open hardware platform where the um, this single board computer based system is now a multi board computer system, but where the CPU is on a slot. So you can have a replaceable system on a chip platform where they've now released five different modules for systems on a chip. I think that's really interesting. It's a step back in portability and it's definitely a step back in computing conform performance. These computers are not particularly fast. They're like the speed of a Raspberry Pi 4, um, but as an open hardware platform and you can just spend more money and get better stuff in there. And I think that's really interesting for the future. 
and this is just some people in Berlin. It's not something funded by VC. It's just some people building hardware that you can build hardware for, and I think that's great. Is that like an ARM version of the framework? Yeah, made on a much lower budget. Um, so it's um, it's like a motherboard design where there is a module for the CPU and memory. And so the modules that exist now are, there's an IMX8 module, which is the one they're going to ship on the pocket reform, but there's a Raspberry Pi compute module based form factor and a Banana Pi based form factor and some higher-end ARM processors. There's a module for uh, FPGA, which will run the RISC-V soft core. So it's, if you look at the hardware, it's closer to the dimensions a laptop from 2006 would have been. Um, it's much bulkier, but it's bulkier because you can, the battery is some um, 18650 cells, so you can replace that. It has a trackball instead of a touchpad, which I think is great. Um, it has a mechanical keyboard, but for, to have a mechanical keyboard, you have to sacrifice some depth because you cannot have a slim laptop like that and i think the component system necessitates it being bigger anyway because these are replaceable open hardware components which have been built by real people rather than uh, a big anonymous company Uh, and i I think it's great lucas um and someone else from the project uh hung out with them for a day at ccc cab this summer and they did like a an open house where they were talking through the hardware with a bunch of people who cycle through and it was just great to see them talk through their project and their hardware is really cool and they're nice people. It's I think the closest we are to a bespoke computing platform as we as we've been for a long time. That sounds interesting. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Um mine would have to be, you know, this, this I've got two things here. Uh so uh DPD, DPDK LPM uh routing. Um so that that made a huge difference on our autonomous system uh, just for, for uh, you know, decision-making, that sort of stuff. So, you know, we found that to be, you know, beneficial. When that came out, we turned that on straight away and, you know, fixed a lot of issues that we had. Um, but the other one I probably would say is, you know, I'm a bit late to the game with this, but Ansible, uh, I didn't realize how good Ansible is and you know coding up basically a full configuration and you know now being able to do basically hands-off deployment of ansible uh playbooks onto say you know our uh homegrown uh firewall routers that we have at work it's you know just made deployment so much easier you can you know cross check and then you can treat hardware as commodity so basically if you know it burns out you don't have to have anybody smart to do it. It's coming kind of like, you know, press, you know, auto install and bang, the machine's away, you know, it finishes uh, the OpenBSD build and then, you know, Ansible's then attached to it and away it goes. So, um, yeah, those two uh, are probably high on my list of being the most things I've been excited about recently. Uh-huh. That's certainly interesting. Mine is at work, uh, Terraform at the moment. So they got me into this. Uh, so that I, because at the moment I'm doing semi-automated stuff with all Ansible, and I've done this for a while, and I also gave workshops for colleagues. And while I was doing that in the in parallel to that, unbeknownst to me, all this Terraform stuff has been popping up, and people have been using that GitLab pipelines. We have a GitLab instance at work, and everyone is apparently doing this, and this totally escaped me for some reason. And they 
And with Terraform, you can just say, oh, build me these 10 machines with this network attached to it, create uh, DNS entries, all of that. And as soon as this gets provisioned to our, I don't know, OpenStack infrastructure or what have you, then you can say, now Ansible should run on this new IP address that just was created for this new instance. And that makes it easy to like manage your, your labs for, in our case, the university, or you just create your infrastructure. And when something breaks, you just say, deploy again, or just deploy the deltas. Like if a machine went down and you had to re-roll this out, they don't roll out the other 10 machines, only this delta that has changed. And that has escaped me for so many times that they now kind of force me, uh, my, my boss at work, to, to learn this stuff because they want me to be much faster in this regard. Because I, as I said, I did it mostly manually at this point. Uh, in the BSDs, uh, it's uh, package base. I want to learn more about this. I want to use it more because I also see a lot of benefits there to make my life easier and my deployments also. And so that's what I'm going to get into because I, I think we will see a lot more uh, package-based automation in FreeBSD at least. What is one project you would like to learn more about or get involved in? Mine would probably be ports. Um, the and, and maybe docs too. Uh, I can write. But uh, I had a stab at OpenBSD ports um, a while back. Uh, I sort of, you know, didn't really sort of gain the traction there that I wanted out of it for myself. Uh, but, you know, I see, you know, every time I install a new package on FreeBSD, I'll get the notification that this port has no maintainer. And I go, you yeah. know, there's, um, there's, there's work there and, you know, clearly there's the need for more people to help out. So, you know, that's probably one area that, you know, I'm not a coder, so, you know, working on base or the kernel or anything like that is just not going to happen. I'm, I'm a sysadmin. I'm not a, I'm not a programmer. Um, I did want to be one when, when I was younger at school, uh, but uh, I fell into love with uh, multi-user operating systems and, you know, how to best make them work for organizations. So uh, that didn't happen. So, you know, maybe I can give back. In some way, shape, or form, by you know maintaining some ports that you know I do use, and they just don't have maintainers. In the FreeBSD package man page, there is a command to list out all of the abandoned packages you have on the system. Yeah, that helps. And for me, it's a similar vein. I can help you a little bit in the docs area if you want to get into that in FreeBSD. Um, my thing has always been maybe doing like you just one port to take maintainership of that or just update that to the latest version i know it's involving a lot more stuff and you need to be quick about that because people kind of want to have always the latest version working but that would be something interesting and i also <laughs> during a couple of hackathons or events people were joking hey benedict when do you get your source commitment and this never happened because my knowledge of c is very limited i mean i can see a for loop and know what it's doing or a while loop but the whole pointers thing i did it once in the uh, when i was studying but i didn't get deeper into it as i as i should and all these other data structures like red black trees and all these i need to really get deeper before i get uh, dangerous in this area what programming languages do you wish you were better in i wish i was better at gdb i wish gdb was understandable and then I wish I was better at it. But I'm 
I'm constantly looking at the system and it's um, the ability to interrogate it and wishing I knew more and wishing I could do more. Um, there's a lot of documentation about debugging crashed BSD systems because they crash quite a lot um, if you if you use them wrong, like I always do. Um, but then frequently it's sort of at a loss. And I see the stuff other people can do where they can pull data structures out of stuff and I'm always fascinated and... I think knowing more of that and having more debuggability of the system make it more fun, but also make it easier to do things. Yeah, things like D-Trace and stuff, that's always fascinated me also coming from so from the I need to learn more C side. Debugging in general would be good to like have a strategy of getting information out of the system that helps either you or another person to help you debug that. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Luckily, no one says yes uh, or says uh, HTML as the programming language they want to be better at. No, oh, you know, <laughs> that, 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 that was different in the 90s. People wanted to understand HTML better back then. But uh, yeah. Yeah, self HTML and all that. Yeah. Great website, helped a lot of people to build their own websites. But hey, it's not a programming language. No, and you know, <laughs> we've got this, the static content generators these days. So a lot of that sort of stuff you don't need to worry about uh, yourself yeah. anymore. But this whole ecosystem that sprung up around JavaScript and all, I never got into this or what the, I mean, you could do cool things, don't get me wrong, but that's totally left where I went to. It, I uh, turned one other way and never looked back. I sort of get myself into the classical languages and go down a rabbit hole. Like, you know, I was always a big fan of Turbo Pascal back in the day. And yeah. Oh, yeah it would be nice to have, you know, more modern implementations of some of those older teaching uh, languages because I think that would get people more involved. Python's supposed to be there and that's probably one that I should uh, learn um, better because, you know, that's probably more the modern day teaching language, but they're still way more complicated. I look back at, you know, some of my code from basic days in the 80s and, you know, <laughs> the instruction set, you didn't have that much to work with. So... You had to write everything yourself. There was no modules that you could pull in and that sort of stuff. I remember I looked back yeah. some of my code and I wrote, um, you know, full um, keyboard entry modules to filter, you know, and sanitize import. Um, mm. I had to work out, you know, I only had so much memory to work with. So you couldn't just like have your database running in memory. So I had <laughs> yeah. to write whole disk routines to write out disks and, you know, sorting routines. And, you know, my math teacher got me involved with, you know, starting to learn, you know, I, I understood bubble sort. <laughs> That's just it's so yeah, primitive yeah, and slow. Like, okay, so you did spend but, a bit of programming. You're not completely new to the topic. Yeah, no, I, I, I did it during school, but, and so, you know, a direction I wanted to go in. But, um, you know, I, I, I got a job straight after school and didn't go to university. Yeah. So, But you could write shell scripts, right, yeah. for sysadmin tasks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Ansible is a little bit like that. It's not like it has loops, it has repetitions there, of course, but you can also like define which things comes first and in which order they should happen. It's like a programming language of sort. Well, it, it is, you know, um, was it DevOps? So it's, you know, it's a yeah. configuration in code. So uh. sysadmins are very modest in that. They're like, I'm not a programmer, but in a certain way they are, right? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's that's how, how it is. It's like you know, if you Depends if you don't you know how to do shell, you're gonna be you're gonna be doing a lot of repetitive tasks very very frequently. Cool. Yeah, that's we're true. we're coming up on an hour. Is there one question you really want to cover as the last one, Jason? Oh God, no. I, I I enjoyed writing the results to all these questions. <laughs> 
<laughs> and we've got our first bit of uh, bonus patron content. Uh, yeah, yeah, we do. Um, Jason answers his own question. <laughs> we we could hold these over, and we could do maybe a bonus round um, mid mid year or something like that. I think because yeah. a lot of these uh, mm. there is some really sure. good discussion points here, and it's not just about just answering the question. It's about you know. Yeah, prodding each other to to come yeah, up with. We mark where we left off and then continue from there. Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, let's let's do one last one though. Are you a, a pants or no pants in virtual meetings? Ah, jeez. I assume this means trousers um, and not the 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 British English translation. The trousers. Of, you don't say yeah. pants. It's not pants, miss. You just say pants. Trousers. <laughs> trousers. <laughs> um. Uh, I I shorts. Um, because you never know if you like, you know, it's you drop you drop coffee yeah. on your leg and then you stand up. The last thing you want to be doing is like, you know, no pants on. You stand up in the meeting. It's like, oh damn, the, the camera's on for security reasons. Yeah. <laughs> for me, that never was a discussion. I mean, why not wear no pants? Yeah, I need to get the double negative right. Um, pants on, no problem. I don't stand up, but even if I would have, well, there's no happenstance that this might turn into a shameful episode and how half of the meeting and participants will laugh at you they'll 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 be there's they'll, no need they'll be looking at you at the conference next and just like i mean like as someone at assist on desk sometimes i join meetings standing up um it's always funny if you're if it's in standing desk mode to appear from below and just slowly rise up oh yeah um I, i'm very informal for I'm at home. <laughs> Very informal. Uh, right By now, at home, you can kind of decide what to wear anyway. Right now, I'm wearing a arm assembly language cheat sheet, um, which has been turned into a pair of sweatpants. Um, by the person who made the cheat sheet <laughs> everyone that has ever seen me wearing these um has commented including an incredibly reserved bulgarian man he said what the hell are you wearing they look terrible um <laughs> and then i said but, but I look at it look, but look at it it's got all this arm assembly language stuff on it and he went wow that's really cool where did you get that so yeah, like it's, it's a discussion topic it's, very soon. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if I can raise my leg high enough so you can see. Well, <laughs> oh jeez, ah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the audience has to imagine things, but yeah, there is it, assembly there. Yeah, it's like like you know patchwork <laughs> of of just code. I'll I'll find a I'll find a link to the cheat sheet, and you can always give the artist some money and help her pay for her next book. Um, it'll be in the show notes, which we have on our website. Excellent. So that people can look that up and get some last minute Christmas presents. All right. Uh, yeah, we leave you with that. Maybe we'll do more in the future or as a bonus round. We'll see. And uh, I hope that was interesting to you, knowing us hosts a little bit more. And of course, next time we will have a different episode or a normal one. We'll see. Okay, wonderful. This is our last episode of the year. So I hope everyone's had a great 2023. And Yes, be more thanks of this for in all your continued uh, listenership. Yes, thanks for the feedback we got and the submissions for here. Read this blog post, find this cool tutorial, and all the good things that have reached us also in our Telegram channel that we now have. And yeah, our sponsor, of course. Big thanks as always. And yeah, stay with us. Next year we'll be here. Yes, thanks all for listening. And hope you have a happy holidays, have a safe one, and we hope to hear from you through feedback at bsdnow.tv next year. Have a good new year, everyone.